Good morning, everyone, and welcome to today's focus for Saturday, January the 21st, 2023 at 1040 a.m. Central Time. Today's focus, 1954, meet 2023. 1954, meet 2023. This is part two in this kind of a mini-series, and this is all based off a booklet that was written in 1954, and the booklet concludes with seven points, seven concluding points that the author wrote in 1954. And we're going through each one of these points to see how it relates and how much it sounds so familiar and how relevant it is to 2023, demonstrating that the problems we see today are nothing unique. They were the same problems that people were experiencing in 1954 And I will go so far to say they've been the same problems that people have been struggling with probably since the history of human beings in some way, shape or form. And I think sometimes we we forget that. And I think I think the problem is we we sometimes and I and I think Christians do this and and I hope you will understand what I'm about to say. Whenever we see certain problems within society, one, sometimes we seem to think that it's unique to our particular time and forget that the problem existed going way, way back. We sometimes ignore the fact that the real ultimate problem is human depravity. We, but, and then third, we t- typically try to find something else to blame. So depending on the generation, like when, when I was a teenager, what was being blamed for the downfall of society It was MTV. MTV was destroying the culture. Then before long, it was video games. And then it was Netflix. And then it was a premium, you know, channels like HBO or Cinemax or Showtime. We we always find something. And we, and again, whenever we do that, I feel like that the church demonstrates we've lost touch with a basic theological concept that the problem is inside of humanity. It's called our depraved nature. So uh, I just, I just, I, I thought that this was interesting looking at this booklet written in 1954, or looking at an article about a booklet written in 1954. We're yet to, I haven't been able to track down the actual booklet yet. Hopefully we'll be able to do that. Maybe some of you internet detectives can find a copy of the actual booklet, and I'll give you the name and everything in a minute. But in uh, part one, we looked at two of these concluding points, and today we'll try to look at two more. All right. So just uh, remember, today's focus is not designed to be a full, you know, like hour long teaching. I'm just trying to hand you something to get you to think about, something for you to discuss, something that you can get you to focus on throughout the day. So here we go. Are you ready? All right. Dr. Chester Tulga, T-U-L-G-A, a Baptist fundamentalist, wrote the following seven point conclusion to his 1954 booklet, The Doctrine of Right and Wrong in These Times. Now, remember when he wrote the booklet, The Doctrine of Right and Wrong in These Times, he was referring to 1954. This article that I'm reading from says, consider the truth of his words. Concluding point number one, and we covered this yesterday, so I won't be able to review it. I'm just going to throw it out there. Our times, again, he's referring to 1954, 
are characterized by deep uncertainty concerning truth and morality, resulting in an alarming moral confusion which has corrupted the world and deeply infected the churches. Let me read that one more time. Our times are characterized by deep uncertainty concerning truth and morality, resulting in an alarming moral confusion which has corrupted the world and deeply infected the churches. Please note, he believes that this kind of uncertainty about truth and morality had infected the churches in 1954, that he looked around and was like, look at the churches. They don't seem to understand truth. They don't seem to understand morality. This is not only happening in the culture, it's happening in the church. And that's how he felt in 1954. And I think we would say the same problem exists in 2023. Point number two. The prevailing liberal theology of our day reflects this moral confusion and its emphasis upon love rather than holiness and its disregard of ethical values and formulating its doctrinal views and its tolerance of sin in the lives of its ministers and churches. Now, this looks to liberal theology as being like, hey, Liberal theology, as it as as the point says, reflects this moral confusion. That, hey, here's the moral confusion in the culture. Liberal theology reflects it, and then it goes after some sp- specific aspects of liberal theology, where this author felt that liberal theology was too, uh, how can we say, accepting or too a kind to sin, that it was kind of in a more accepting, too accepting of sin or not condemning enough of sin. And with point number two, I want to remind you that this is always a danger. Right? You've got to hear me out here. Whenever, when throughout church history, whenever we identify a problem, whenever we identify an error, whenever we identify a heresy, whenever we identify something seriously wrong, there's always a tendency within Christianity, within Christian theology, to respond to an error by creating an equal and opposite error. And sometimes Christians don't realize, like, oh, wait, we've got this problem. And next thing you know, boom, you run over here. And you're like, wait a minute, what just happened? You've responded to this problem with an equal and opposite problem or an equal and opposite error. We always have to respond in a balanced biblical way. And we're going to see that as we look at the next two points. All right, so that was point number one. Point number two. Today, we're going to look at point three and point four. Here we go. Point number three from these concluding points that Dr. Chester Tolga Tolga wrote in 1954. Here we go. Number three, the evangelical world with its shallow knowledge of the very theology which it professes to believe and defend has been deeply affected by relativism in both truth and morality resulting in moral and ethical antinomianism often connected with the more fervent professions of orthodoxy. All right, now there's a lot here to unpack. All right, let's work on this. Hopefully we can get to number four. Maybe we won't get to number four. Here we go. Let's go through number three again. Here we go. Thinking caps on. The evangelical world with its shallow knowledge of the very theology which it professes to believe and defend. Now, let's stop right here. I feel like that in every age, that when you read writings about the state of the church, 
there's a constant, depending on who you're reading, a constant concern or complaint or condemnation of, look, the, the, the Christians today in the church, they just don't understand their theology. There is ignorance. There is confusion. They don't get it. They don't get it. They don't get it. And it seems like that's a constant complaint. And we would have to ask ourselves, why do you think that is? Christians today, they just don't understand the theology that they profess. Christians today, don't, they don't know what they believe. They don't know why they believe it. They don't understand it. They don't understand it. Why is this a constant problem? I, I've heard this my entire Christian life. Christians just don't get it. Christians don't understand. Christians don't know. And then you always have these ministries like, we are, we are here to fix the problem of biblical and theological illiteracy. So buy our Sunday school curriculum, buy our books, buy our DVDs, attend our conferences. And, and everyone seems to have the solution, but there never seems to be a solution. So the question is, whose fault is it? Is it the church's fault? Is it the people sitting in the pews' fault? Why is there a constant problem with this? That, that to me is, I, I, I used to just focus on the problem. Now I'm more con- interested in the reasons for the problem. And I don't know if the reasons are as easy as we owe. We either just want to blame the church. Sometimes I don't think we want to blame the people. But I know this, if you, I, I can't, I won't speak of the past. But it's hard for me to comprehend Christians today in 2023 with all of the technology and all of the resources available. And this has been true for a very long time, right? Any Christian, I mean, again, we can just take the Sermons 2.0 app. They could sit there all day, sermon after sermon after sermon on every theological subject you could think of, every doctrine. They could sit there with a Bible and a notebook and just go to town. It would be like seminary. I mean, they could just go to town. Uh, you, you, can, you can read books on hermeneutics, church history. Most of these things are easily accessible for free online. You can download entire collection of works for your Kindle, sometimes for 99 cents or, or 2 or $3 dollars. Like it, it's, you can download every confession of faith, every creed. Like I, I, I have a hard time understanding why, I mean, like I, I, I want to blame the church sometimes, but man, the average Christian, and I, and I, and I know some people will point this out to me and I do appreciate this. Some, sometimes people will say something to me along these lines. People don't know what they don't know. And maybe that's the church's fault that they don't let the people know what they don't know. But I mean, come on. If you're a Christian, I mean, just, you, 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 when people have an interest in anything, they're looking up YouTube videos, they're, 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 they're researching it, they're looking into it. If you're a Christian, you think you would have some interest in Christianity, right? I, I, I don't know. So, But in 1954, this was the problem. The evangelical world, with its shallow knowledge of the very theology which it professed to believe and defend, has been deeply affected by relative, relativism and both truth and morality. Now, here's the question. Many of the fundamentalist churches, if you go back in history, who, who's like, hey, we've got a problem here. We got liberal theology. We got this evangelicalism. They, they don't know their theology. They don't know their doctrine. They, they basically have adopted moral relativism. They don't seem to condemn sin. They have no standards. There's no holiness. Many of the, fun, the fundamentalist approach to resolving this problem in many cases 
wasn't to increase theological knowledge. They basically decided to address this problem by saying, here are the rules. Women don't wear pants. Men don't, you know, uh, don't have long hair. Men don't wear beards. Or, or You don't play cards. You don't go to the movie theater. Rule, lit, like, they just, they basically responded by giving everyone a list of moral standards. Basically, they responded to the problem by law, by giving people law, giving people rules. So I would say if you thought the issue was was a, that the people don't had have shallow knowledge of theology, then fundamentalism should have responded by increasing the knowledge of theology. But I, if you go back in church history, fundamentalism responded by giving people standards and rules, by basically giving people the law, which in many cases completely obliterated a correct understanding of the gospel. I mean, we could have that... Discussion about church history, but I believe that's true. Now they go on to say the evangelical world, with its shallow knowledge of the very theology which it professes to believe and defend, has been deeply affected by relativism and both truth and morality, resulting in a moral and ethical antinomianism often connected with the more fervent professions of orthodoxy. So it says basically a kind of a moral antinomianism came into the church, meaning, hey, you, you, you can live any way you want. There, don't worry about standards. Don't worry about holiness. Don't worry about separation. Just live any way you want. Well, what was the solution to this moral antinomianism as it's, or eth, moral and ethical antinomianism is the way he put it in his third point. Well, what I believe many of the churches did is they responded to the moral and ethical antinomianism by turning into full-blown legalist. Basically, it was like, oh, you're, you no law, we're going to become all law. So they responded to no law with all law, and the gospel became obliterated, or in many cases, the gospel was so merged with law that really it was a law-based gospel instead of a grace-based gospel. Once again, fixing a problem by, by creating an equal and opposite problem. Right? I'm going to read that one more time. There's a lot there to unpack. But remember, today's focus is about handing this to you so that you can meditate on this and you can think about it. Here we go. Number three, the evangelical world. Remember, this is written in 1954. The evangelical world, with its shallow knowledge of the very theology which it professes to believe and defend, has been deeply affected by relativism and both truth and morality, resulting in moral and ethical antinomianism, often connected with the most fervent professions of orthodoxy. All right, number four. Oh, there's so much more I want to say there, but okay. I'm going to try to finish number four. Here we go. The liberals and neo-orthodox, knowing that they have abandoned the biblical basis of truth and morality, offer many and varied schemes whereby moral re reconstruction can begin, none of them adequate to the task. So in 1954, he's like, you look at the liberals and the neo-Orthodox. They know they've abandoned biblical bases of truth and morality. So they come up with, they offer these schemes or these plans or these programs whereby moral reconstruction can begin, and they say none of them are adequate to the task. 
So they're like, hey, they, they, they're kind of coming up with a moral reconstruction because they've abandoned scripture. They've abandoned scripture. But I believe in a roundabout way that the answer to this is many came up with their own plans and schemes to try to maintain a biblical standard, but it really turned into the focus not on the Bible, but focus on the standard. That your, your Christianity was determined by your standards and obeying these standards, and it became less about actually di- being discipled, and it became less about an, an internal moral development and became more about an external adherence to a list of rules. So once again, I think that we had, you, that 1954 saw the problem but I think what the what how many people answer to this problem is they went to an equal and opposite error. So let's go through this again. The liberals and the neo-orthodox, knowing that they have abandoned the biblical basis of truth and morality, offer many and varied schemes whereby moral reconstruction can begin, none of them adequate to the task. Now I think if we look at Christianity. Even if you look not if you don't look to the liberals or the neo-orthodox, if you even look to the conservatives, haven't many of them also offered kind of a, a moral reconstruct, like a, a, a system or a plan so that you can maintain some level of morality, that you can stop sinning? And there's all these programs to help you stop. And all of them are mostly are law-based, and it's very much focused on your external behavior. And I think a lot of them will, will use scripture, but I think in many cases it becomes almost like a man-made self-help program. And we reviewed a sermon from uh, like an addiction program, and it sounded like just the same kind of advice that you would be given anywhere. They would just throw in some scripture, but many of the scriptures were ripped out of context and it became law, 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 instead of a correct use of the gospel. It was a misuse of law. And an, and, an, and an abandonment of the gospel. So I think the issue is we have to be able to discern the problem. But we have to be able to discern what the solution is. Nineteen fifty four. Meet twenty twenty three. The two major points I want to leave you th- with you today, for you to think about, for you to meditate on. For you to discuss, either with me or with anyone else, if you want to discuss it with me, email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, or you can discuss it in the Discord channel if you so desire. Here we go. Here was number three. I'm going to read them one more time. The evangelical world, with its shallow knowledge of the very theology which it professes to believe and defend, has been deeply affected by relativism in both truth and morality, resulting in moral and ethical antinomianism, often connected with the more fervent professions of orthodoxy. Number four, the liberals and the neo-orthodox, knowing that they have abandoned the biblical basis of truth and morality, offer many varied schemes whereby moral reconstruction can begin, none of them adequate to the task. So much more I would like to say. But today's focus is designed to hand it to you. So now hopefully you will pick up the conversation and think clearly about these things and just try to see where we are versus where we've come from. And I think the same problems still exist. 
And I think many of the solutions offered in 1954 up to 2023, none of them have been really a a, a decent solution or are able to solve the problem. But you can give me your own thoughts. That is today's focus for Saturday, January the 21st, 2023.